So we're studying 1 Peter. And uh, we've seen over the last few weeks, this is written by Peter, who was a fisherman, called by Jesus to be one of his disciples, called to be an apostle, which meant that Peter wrote truth directly from God, which is why we're still studying this letter. This is a letter that he wrote around the year A.D. 65, written to believers who were living in uh, what today would be called Turkey, so in that whole region, not too far from here. And we've seen over the last weeks, let me just give you a kind of a walkthrough of the flow of thought that Peter has given to us. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he introduces himself as the author. And then in chapter 1, verses 3 through 13, he calls us to set our hope fully on the joy that we will have in knowing Jesus Christ. Beholding him, worshiping him, knowing him, loving him, set your hope fully on the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. That's verses 3 through 13 of chapter 1. And then, because of that hope that we have in Christ, we are able to obey, and so far we've seen three specific areas. We're able to obey, first of all, in fighting sin. That's in chapter 1, verse, what is it? 14 through 21, thank you. We're able to stop sinning, verses 14 through 21. And then the second big area of obedience. We're able to fervently love each other. That's chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10. And then finally, third, um, we're able to live lives, beautiful lives, lives that show God's reality and beauty and love. We're able to live beautiful, God-glorifying lives amongst lost people in the world. So they will see the reality of Jesus Christ and come to faith. And that's in chapter 2, verse 11 through 25. And I notice from this that Everything we're called to do so far is built on the foundation of setting our hope fully on the joy that'll be ours in beholding Jesus Christ forever. It's like our our hope in Christ fuels our obedience, just like petrol fuels your car. So what I want to encourage you to do is don't run out of gas or petrol, okay? Don't run out. Spend time every day seeking God's face, opening up the scriptures, calling out to him in prayer, worshiping him, being strengthened by and strengthening other brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't let your hope tank get empty. Keep that hope tank filled because the outflow of that will be obedience, which is how Peter has structured his book. And today we're going to focus on verses 18 through 25 of chapter 2. And what Peter talks about here, he's talking to people who he calls servants who have masters. Now, some versions translate the word servants as slaves, and that's that's appropriate because these are essentially slaves that are being addressed. Slavery was legal in the Roman Empire. Some became slaves because their countries were conquered by Rome and they were brought back as prisoners to serve as slaves. Tragic situation. Others became slaves because they had fallen into financial hardship, maybe huge debts, and so they sold themselves into slavery in order to be able to get money to pay off the debts that they'd incurred. But some of these slaves, many of them, became followers of Jesus. And that's why you have passages in the New Testament, like this one, which explain to these servants, these slaves, 
How do you be a slave? How do you have a master? And how do you do that as a follower of Jesus Christ? What does Jesus call servants, slaves to do? So you have all these passages in the New Testament which help slaves know how to be a slave as a follower of Christ. Now, tragically, some scholars, some university professors, you may have heard this, have concluded from the fact that there's all these passages addressing slaves, they've concluded that the New Testament approves of slavery, that the New Testament condones slavery. But that's not the case. Let me give you one scripture I hope will be super clear if you've heard that taught before. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. We'll put it up here on the screen. Here Paul is talking about God's word, about the law, commands. He says, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for men who practice homosexuality, for example. And then notice this next word, for enslavers, people who would enslave someone against their will, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So you can see from this scripture, it's super clear that enslaving another human being is against God's will. It is disobedient, according to what Paul says here. It is sinful, which means that the New Testament condemns slavery. I hope we're all clear on that. The New Testament condemns slavery as it was practiced, for example, in my country, in America, before the Civil War, which was around 1865. And it's practiced tragically in many countries today still. So the New Testament, God's word, condemns slavery. But since many slaves had become followers of Jesus, God had the apostles write so that they would know how they should live in that setting as a follower of Christ. And that's the question that Peter addresses in this passage for today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. So let's read through this passage, and as we've been doing these last weeks, we've been, for those of you who are new here this morning, we've been working on growing as a church in how to study the Bible. We call it inductive Bible study, which simply means letting the text show us what's being taught, focusing on this one text and learning from this one text the truth of who God is and how we are to live. Inductive Bible study, focusing on the text itself. And so we want to look for clues which show us what the author's main point is. And what's the most obvious clue we've been talking about? We look for what? Commands, right? That's the most obvious clue because every command is a main point. We also want to look for clues like the word for or since or because, which shows that the author has just given a main point and is now going to give you reasons to support that main point. And also look at words like therefore, which show that the author has been giving reasons and now he's drawing a conclusion which is a main point. So let's read verses 18 to 25. And as we read, keep your eyes open for clues that would show us what the main point or points is or are. In this passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Whoa. For this, 
is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, that means mocked or insulted, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Powerful passage here. Okay, so what's the main point of this passage? And there's just one command in this passage. I hope you all saw it. It's right there in verse 18. Did you see that? Let's read it again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Notice another clue is that verse 19 has the word for, which also means because or since. In other words, verses 19, then all the way through to the end, verse 25, are giving reasons for why we should be subject to our masters with all respect. So that's the, the main point of this passage. Now, how do we apply that command, apply this passage to our lives here in Abu Dhabi today? Well, some of you are servants um, working for families, maybe as nannies, as maids, or as cooks, or as drivers, possibly. So there would be application for you here. Others of you have bosses or managers at work, right? And that would have application here with us. And it, the more I thought about it, really all of us, we can make extensions, all of us have some people that are, have some level of authority over us. Maybe you're thinking about like the principal or the teacher of your children at school. There's an authority figure or figures there. Or if you're part of a, some kind of a social group, which has maybe a president of a club or a sports team, which has a captain. Okay, so all kinds of ways we can, we can make implications. So this passage does apply to, to all of us this morning. And in all of these situations, Peter would call us to be subject to our masters with all respect. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word be subject, um, I like to think about how to put these commands in our own words. So the word I chose for be subject was obey. It means to come under someone's authority, and a very tangible way of describing that is to obey. So Peter's calling us to obey our masters, and to do that with all respect, which means you're seeking to show them as much honor as you can. So I, I've just kind of summarized this command as we're called to obey respectfully. That's what Peter's calling us to do in this passage, obey respectfully. Now let's break this down into some real specific nitty-gritty where the 
what is that, the wheel meets the road or however that phrase goes, okay? Let's say, for example, that your boss asks you to put all your other work aside and to focus on getting the budget done, all right? What would Peter call you to do? He'd call you to obey, respectfully, to put aside all your other work and get the budget done, right? Okay? Or if, if your madam says, uh, we're having guests tonight, could you please you know, focus on preparing the, a, a meal for more people? That's what you should do. You should obey respectfully. So that's really easy to think about situations like that. Now, what if, though, your boss asks you to sin, to do something that would be disobedient to Christ? In that case, you should not obey. Remember verse 19 This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. We're doing all this for God's sake. And remember Jesus' example down in verse 22. He committed no sin. He's our example for how to do this. And so if your boss asks you to do something that is sin, that is disobedient to Christ, Peter would say, do not obey your boss in that situation. But you want to not obey respectfully, which would possibly mean you would go to your boss and say, I'm, I'm grateful for you as my boss. I'm grateful for this job. Um, I, I want to obey you in any way I can, but, but I have a higher allegiance to Jesus Christ, and, and you're asking me to do something that would be disobedient to him, and, and I cannot do that. Could that be costly? Absolutely. Would you be overwhelmed with God's grace and presence? Would he take care of you? Would he provide for you? Absolutely. But do you feel that? Do you feel how you're, you're not obeying, but you're being as respectful as you can? Okay, so that's an example if your boss is calling you to do something sinful. Remember when Daniel, uh, King Darius, made a command, this is Daniel chapter 6, that um, no one can pray to anyone except Me, King Darius said, only pray to me. What did Daniel do? He did not obey. He kept praying to God. Daniel chapter 6. Very powerful passage. What if your boss asks you not to do something that's sinful, but something that's really not fair? It's unjust. Maybe your boss has some favorite employee and your boss wants you to do some of their work so they get some time, extra time off, just, for, for, just to give them extra time off. It's just not fair, right? Can you feel the injustice of that? It's just like, are you kidding me? You know, I've already got my own work and you want me to do that, that too. So what, what should you do in that situation? Well, Peter would say they're not calling you to sin. And so you might want to go to them and you'll need to pray about this and say, um, With all due respect, this doesn't seem right to me uh, because I have lots of work that I'm doing and and this person um, is, I'm doing some of their work for them just to have extra time off and I don't think that's right. Could you please um, change your mind on that? And if they won't change their mind, what would Peter call you to do? He'd call you to obey respectfully. They're just... Are you feeling some of this injustice in your heart here at this point? Are you feeling like that's, that's, that's wrong for them to ask me to do that? Are you feeling that? Good. Okay, we're, hold on to that. We're going to come to that in a moment. 
I want you to feel how what Peter's calling us to do is hard to do. This is not an easy passage, but it's, it's a beautiful passage, as I hope you'll see as we continue to unfold it. One more example. What if your boss asks you to do something that just is, is not wise? It's not going to help the company. There's a better way to do it. Peter does say, you know, obey respectfully, but if they're asking you to do something that's just not wise, it would be best for the company if you went to the boss and said, um, with all due respect, isn't, isn't a, there a better way to do this? What if we tried this? I mean, wouldn't this be better for this department? Wouldn't it be better for you and your reputation? Wouldn't it be better for the company as a whole to do this? And if, if your boss says, oh, wow, that, that's a great idea. If they change their mind, wonderful. If they don't change your mind, then what should you do? Then you obey respectfully. Okay, so are you feeling this? Whoa. Okay, this is not easy, what Peter's calling us to do here. Now, I want you to, let me give you some more examples as to why this might be really, really hard to do. I want you to feel even more how hard this would be, because we're not feeling it enough yet, okay? There's lots of bosses who are good and gentle, as Peter describes here. In fact, if some of you are, are bosses or managers, be good and be gentle, okay? All right? But that's another passage for another time. Here we're talking about us who are with, uh, working for managers, and there are bosses, there are managers, there are madams that, who are unjust and who are wicked in things that they want to do and will ask you to do, right? There are. For example, there's bosses, managers who will take credit for your work, right? Some of you have experienced this. Who will not pay you what was promised. There's bosses or managers who will require overtime or working more days than you contracted for just because they have the authority to ask you to do so. There's bosses or managers who will promote someone over you even though they don't deserve it just because of some kind of favoritism that they're exercising. There's bosses or managers who will make fun of you before other people, right? I mean, some of you have experienced this. There's bosses or managers who will take extra time off for themselves and have, want you to do their work so they can go away, play or something, right? So I just want us to be really realistic here. What Peter's calling us to do is hard, very difficult to do. And if we're feeling this as we should, we should be asking Peter, how is this possible? How could we actually do this? This is just too hard. If you're feeling bitterness rising up in you just at the thought, some of you are probably in a situation like this right now. And you're thinking, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if I can do that. Because when this happens, you want to you start getting angry. You want to start talking badly about them to other people, right? All these things that Peter says, no, obey respectfully. So let's ask the question, how is it possible to do this? Peter, how is it possible? And that's the point of verses 19 through 25, where Peter gives us three reasons. And I'm praying that as we look at these reasons, your heart will be strengthened, it will be comforted. It will be at peace. Anger and bitterness will go. Hope will rise. Joy will rise. That's Peter's intention in verses 19 through 25. Is we're feeling the difficulty of this after verse 18, but now he's going to give us reasons to help us want to do this and see that we can do this 
and be actually excited about doing this because of what God will do as we do this. So let's take a look. Now, I want to give you a specific tangible example to walk through these three um, reasons with. Let's say that Sunday your manager says, then you need to work more hours and take a 20% cut in pay or he's going to fire you. Let's just say your manager says that. More hours, you're not going to get paid for more hours, you're going to get paid less for more hours, 20% less. Maybe just so they can get time off themselves and get a bigger bonus or something, who knows, some, some reason. So what would you do? Well, it, it, would, it could be appropriate to go to them humbly and respectfully and explain um, that this isn't right. This isn't what the contract was for. This isn't what was agreed upon. But then imagine that they say you have to do it anyway, that the contract has no bearing here for whatever reason. And imagine that you don't have the option of quitting and finding another job. Okay, so let's just make this the worst case scenario here. Okay? They won't change their minds. Contract doesn't make any difference. You can't quit and find another job. And there's, this is not something you can talk to any higher authorities about. Really worst case job, okay? Are you feeling it? Wow. But again, isn't that situation slaves would be in? So let's just, this is not unrealistic. This is the kind of thing Peter's talking about here. So what should you do? Peter would say, obey them respectfully. He'd say, work hard. He would say, pray that they change their heart. Pray that your circumstance changes, but obey them respectfully. Don't complain to other people. Don't mock them or make fun of them or berate them. Obey them respectfully. Now, how would that be possible to do? Peter gives three reasons. First one, in verses 19 through 20, it's because this brings favor with God. Look at verses 19 through 20. I'll read it again. Peter says, for this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter says that when we do good, when we obey respectfully, we've been working hard at our jobs, and we are suffering unjustly because of it. Peter says that when we continue to obey respectfully, when we endure that suffering, it's a gracious thing in God's sight. Now, what does that mean exactly? So I puzzled over that. One way we can answer questions like that, like what does this phrase mean, is you can check other versions to see what they say, to see if, if there, there's some, they give, shed some light on it. And I found two of the versions translated this as the idea of gracious in the sight of God as favor with God. This shows, this gives, fa this gives you favor with God. And I think that's right because I checked the Greek and the exact same Greek phrase is used, for example, in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. And it's translated favor with God in the English Standard Version. Let me read that verse. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Remember this verse? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature 
and in favor with God. It's the exact same phrase, gracious thing in the sight of God, exact same Greek words behind both, favor with God and man. So when, for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake, mindful of of God, when we suffer injustice and obey respectfully, this brings favor with God. God will pour out his favor upon you. God will make his face shine upon you. God will pour his love into your heart. God will fill you with joy. He maybe will change the circumstances. He maybe won't change the circumstances. That's not mentioned here, but he will pour his grace and favor and goodness and love and joy into your heart, and you will be filled. You'll have favor with God. Now, let me give you an illustration of how a man named Samuel Rutherford experienced this. Who was Samuel Rutherford? He was a pastor in the 1600s in Scotland. And he was pastoring a church, but the church leaders over Scotland, um, they believed that bishops should be ruling the churches. Samuel Rutherford, as a result of his studies of the Bible, concluded that the church members should have final say over the churches, which is what we believe here too. That was his conviction biblically. And so they fired him from that church, and they exiled him a couple hundred kilometers north up to Aberdeen in Scotland. No church, all by himself. They kept him from being a pastor, and there he was. And what did God do while he was there? God poured his favor upon Samuel Rutherford. Here's what he wrote in a letter to a friend from Aberdeen. I just love this. He says, How blind are my enemies who think they have sent me to a place of exile when in fact it has become a banqueting house with Christ. And what he means by that is that he is feasting on the favor of God there. God is pouring his grace out upon him. God is filling him with all joy and peace in believing. He's experiencing God's love. He's shining with God's glory. He is feasting in that place that they thought would be a place of exile for him. It was a banqueting house with Christ. Now, let's apply this to our hypothetical scenario that we were talking about. You have been called to work more hours and to take a 20% cut in pay, and you have no other options. In that case, Peter would call you to obey respectfully. How can you do that? It's because you know that as you do that, you will find favor with God. God will pour his love into your heart. God will make his presence even more real to you. You will experience God's face shining upon you, God filling you with rivers of living water. You will be full. You'll be content. You'll be at peace. You'll be taken care of. God will meet you in that. God is not blind to it. He's seeing it, and you have favor with him because you're obeying respectfully. You're suffering injustice. You're enduring that for the sake of Christ. That's a powerful reason why we should do and can do what Peter's calling us to do. Jesus can turn that cubicle you're working in into a banqueting house with Christ, where you are there feasting on his nearness, feasting on his presence while you are working more and making less. Feel that? 
Let's see what else he tells us here. Second reason. Oh, this one's really shocking. It's because we've been called to suffer. You're thinking, man, pastor, this is not a very good news morning here. Okay. Um, It really is. And even more important, it's true news. We've been called to suffer. See, one reason it's so hard to, to suffer injustice is just it feels so wrong, right? I mean, imagine that your manager says, uh, I need you to work an extra day a week and you've you got to take a 20% cut in pay just because I want to do that. I mean, you can just feel that it just feels so wrong. And you know what? It is wrong. It's completely wrong for him to do that. But look what Peter says in verses 21. Verse 21, but I want to start in verse 20 so you get the flow of thought here. Remember verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, to what? To suffering. You've been called. That's what he says in the previous verse. To this, suffering with endurance. To this you've been called because Christ also suffered. Christ did the same thing he's calling you to do. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example of how to suffer so that you might follow in his steps of suffering. You see that? Now again, remember, If you can appeal to authorities to bring about changes, if there's a way to pursue that, there's nothing wrong with doing that at all. Are are we all clear on that here? But I want to paint the worst case scenario. That you are, like back here in the Roman Empire, you're a slave and you have no recourse. There's nothing you can do. What Peter says is, understand, you've been called to suffer. He says in verse 21, to this you've been called, and he's talking about suffering. So let this sink in. We, followers of Jesus, have been called to suffer. Depending on your church background, there are some churches that preach more of what's called a prosperity gospel than others. And if that's your background, this this will sound very foreign to you. But but look at what the text says. Um, And don't don't you agree with what Peter's saying? To this, to what? To suffering. To this you've been called. But doesn't Jesus say that he calls us to life and that abundantly? Doesn't Jesus say that? Absolutely, and he does. But the path of life and abundance can take us through suffering. Acts 14.22, when Peter, when Paul goes to churches he's just planted, Luke tells us what he preached in all these churches. He summarizes it with one statement. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That was his sermon when he was following up all these churches that he had, had planted. Remember what Jesus said to us, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, his pillow, take up his cross and follow me. You can't get more graphic than that. Jesus is on the Calvary road to Gethsemane and he says, if you want to come after me, then you pick up your cross and, and let's go. And that might sound bleak and hopeless, but of course Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him. 
and we're doing it for the joy that's set before us because God will display Jesus' glory through your suffering. God will give you even more of his favor. You will be filled with peace and strength and comfort and joy. Your cubicle or whatever you're doing will become a banqueting house with Christ. But understand that believers are called to suffer. The God who loves us, the God who sent Jesus to pay for our sins, has called us to suffer. That's, that's part of the, of the Christian life. Please don't think that the closer you are to Jesus, the less you will suffer. He's walking to the cross, and we're following him. Let's let that sink in. Let that settle with you. Now, you might be brand new here this morning. You're thinking, why would anyone want to follow Jesus then? I mean, really? Are you kidding me? No, and we love following Jesus. I mean, many, many here can attest to the fact that following Jesus on the road of suffering is infinitely better than anything else without Jesus, right? Following Jesus on the road to suffering, walking with our Savior for his glory, for his praise, in his presence, Banqueting house with Jesus is infinitely better than the most lavish club med vacation uh, without Jesus. And you'll experience that when you put your trust in Jesus. The joy of knowing him is so full and rich that when you suffer, you'll do it with joy and gladness because of his presence. I love this. So Peter wants us to understand we've been called to suffering, and then he tells us Jesus has shown us how. Okay, verses 21 and 22. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus never sinned, so his suffering was not because of his sin. His suffering was completely unjust. Do you feel that? Verse 23, when he was reviled, when he was mocked, when he was slandered, when he was insulted, he did not respond in kind. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, when he was beaten and scourged and nailed, hands nailed to the cross, feet nailed to the cross, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the Father. Father, I trust you. You are in control of all of this. I trust you. I know that there's joy. As the author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I know, Father, that great joy is coming. Great reward is coming. Father, strengthen me. I'm entrusting you. Help me. Help me to obey. This is the path you've chosen for me. I want to save lost people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Father, I'm entrusting myself to you. Help me. That's how Jesus calls us to suffer, entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. Father, help us. I'm weak. You're strong. Help me see the hope of heaven. Help me see the joy. Give me the taste of that joy now. Pour out your joy upon me now. You're going to right every wrong. You're going to um, punish every injustice. I can trust you, and as you trust yourself to him who judges justly, when you do that as Jesus did that, he will strengthen you, he will comfort you, he will fill you, he will help you. 
So let's apply this to our situation. More time you need to work, 20% cut in pay, no other option. Peter would say obey respectfully. Why? It's because this is your calling. You've been called to suffer. Father, if this is the path you want me to go for these next days, weeks, whatever it might be, if this is the path you've chosen for me, then I know that in the, on that path, I'm going to have more favor with you. You're going to pour your joy out upon me. And this is my calling. And it's going to result in more glory coming to you and more joy in you forever. Here we go. Give me grace. Give me strength. And he will be there for you faithfully every step of the way. So the first reason is more favor with God. Joy poured out upon us. Second reason, we've been called to suffer. And again, the reason that second reason is so important is because when we, when we have to go through something like that, it just feels so wrong. It feels so unjust. And that's why it's helpful for Peter to say it is wrong. It is unjust. And trust God if he calls you to go through that. Now, the third reason, so important. Tom Brewer had a spiritual gift about this this morning. It's because Christ's death freed us from sin's power. Look at verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by whose wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep before you were saved but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, all Christians know that Christ's death paid for sin's guilt. I hope you know that. All your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. But Christ's death didn't just pay for our guilt. Christ's death also frees us from sin's power. Not just sin's guilt, but also sin's power. He frees us from sin's power. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He explains that by saying, by his wounds, you've been healed. He's not talking about physical healing here. He's talking about the wounds of sin. Sin is like a terminal disease in you, which will kill you. But by Jesus' death on the cross, he broke the power of that sin, and you are being healed from it. It's progressively leaving you. And in verse 25, he says, that's why even though you were straying like sheep, you've come back now to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Okay, so how does this work in real life? Then there you are, your boss has just said, more hours, 20% less pay, you have no recourse, there's nothing you can do about it. People, Peter would say, obey respectfully, but you're just feeling sin rising up in your heart, right? You're feeling bitterness rising up in your heart. This is wrong. How can this happen? He's totally wicked to be doing this. You want to talk about the other, talk to their employees about him? You want to get back at him in some way? You're, you're feeling the sin rise up and you say, how is it possible for me to obey respectfully? And Jesus would look at you and he'd say, I died to set you free from that sin. I purchased the gift of the Holy Spirit for you. And when you call upon me and open up the scriptures, you will experience the Holy Spirit so filling you and so satisfying you that sin's power will be broken. Your heart will be changed, and you'll be free to obey respectfully, even when this is a completely unjust situation. That's what Peter's saying. Yes, you're feeling only sin rising up in your heart, 
But that's not the final answer. Because as you say, Father, would you pour out your spirit upon me now? I need your help. I don't see how I could possibly obey respectfully. I'm full of anger and bitterness and a sense of injustice now. Pour out your spirit upon me. Change my heart. Then as you open up the scriptures, as you seek his face, as you pray over scriptures, it'll show you the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ. God will fill your heart with his love. He'll fill your heart with the glory of Christ. You will be filled. You'll be strengthened. You'll be established. You'll be strong. You'll be renewed since power will be broken and you'll be able to obey respectfully. That's what Peter is saying here. And I tell you, the day will come when you stand before the Father, you stand before Jesus in heaven after having suffered at various times through life here, and you will fall down to your, on your face before the Father, before the Son, and thank the Father and thank the Son for the suffering he had to go through, the way he met you in that suffering, the way he displayed his glory to others through that suffering, the way he honored Christ through that suffering, the privilege of suffering for Christ is a gift from God. And you will thank him when you see him face to face because you see all that he did in you and through you and for his glory through that. Three reasons Peter's given to us. Now, let's draw some conclusions here. What does this mean for us? Let me give you four steps. Some of you right now are facing unjust situations. So what would Peter call you to do? Let me give you four steps. First of all, if you never have, then today turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. This is where it all starts for you. You need Jesus. Trust him to forgive you. He will completely forgive you for all your sins. You'll be reconciled to God for the first time in your life. You will know God through Jesus. What an amazing transformation you'll experience. So put your trust in Jesus Christ. Second step, and this is for all those of you who are going through difficulties in your workplace. Think about the joy that you will have of having, think about the joy of having favor with God. You're looking ahead to this road of suffering. Think about the fact that God promises to give you more favor as you walk that road. He will pour out more of his grace upon you. He will have his face shining upon you more. He will fill you more. So as you're looking ahead, you're not just seeing suffering. You're seeing a banqueting house with Christ. You're seeing a feast of the bread of life and of living water filling you, sustaining you, satisfying you. Let me say it again. The path of suffering with Christ is infinitely more satisfying and joyful than the path of not suffering without Christ. The path of suffering with Christ is infinitely more joyful. So think about the joy of having favor with God. You've tasted this as a follower of Jesus. You're going to have even more as you obey respectfully. Third, Think about how Jesus has called you to suffer. He's called you to suffer, and he's shown you how to suffer. And no one has experienced more injustice than Jesus Christ. No one has. The injustice we experience, it is nothing compared to what Jesus experienced, but he entrusted himself to the Father. And now he's saying, you've seen me do it. Follow me. Follow me. 
you'll be, you'll be blessed. You'll be honored and I'll be glorified and you'll be so glad. So think about how Jesus has called you to suffer. He says, follow me on the road to the cross because of the joy that's set before us. Follow me. Fourth, think about how Christ's death has freed you from sin's power. Ask for the power of the Spirit to change your heart. Oh, sin will rise up. It's very real. But ask for the power of the Spirit to change your heart, to free your heart, to fill your heart, and he will. He will change your heart, and you will be able, amazingly, astonishingly, you'll be able to obey an unjust manager or boss respectfully. You'll be able to do that. Now let's stand together. I want to pray for us. Father, I ask that you would especially bring your power and your presence upon those who right now are going through difficult situations at work, in their home where they're staying, working. Oh, Lord, we want to weep with those who weep. We know there is terrible injustice and terrible wickedness in this world. But, oh God, you are sovereign over it all. You are Lord. And Jesus, you walked to the cross. You walked to Gethsemane for the joy set before you. And you've called us to follow in your steps as a way to glorify Christ, as a way to show people around us that you are our treasure, that you are our prize, that when we're able to obey respectfully in completely unjust situations, it will display that we have a joy and a treasure that's not of this world. But we have you, our God, our Savior, who is our prize and our love and our Lord. So I pray, Lord, that right now you would touch those who are going through difficult situations, painful, heartbreaking situations at work, and would you strengthen them? Would you comfort them? Would you help them? We ask, Lord, that you would change the hearts of those making these decisions. We ask that you might bring about a way to get them out of that work situation into a better situation. You can do all of those, but we ask that in the meantime, you would strengthen them and enable them to obey unjust masters with all respect for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So come and do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.